Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of A Fortnight in Film. I'm your host, Jason. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we have a special guest with us this week. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, you're, you're, you're a filmmaker, you're an author, you're a screenwriter, very interesting individual. <laughs> yeah, so I've been uh, working in the film industry since about 2009 when I was still in uh, college and kind of struck out on my own, did a senior thesis film that got some pretty good traction in 2012. And then from there, you know, life sort of happened. I kind of fell more into the corporate corporate world of things, did wedding video for a long time. Um, and then had kind of a wake up call in, in 2018, uh, when I found out that I was going to need, uh, open heart surgery at some point for a condition that I was born with called aortic valve stenosis. And I'd kind of realized, wow, life has gone by this quick and this is a big thing. So I feel like I was kind of wasting a lot of time. Um, so I really dove back into the creative space did another short film in 2019, and then with the start of the whole pandemic in 2020, I started work on my first feature, like script, and since then, I've written two feature scripts, which I'm working to get produced right now, uh, self-published a book of poetry in 2021, and then this year, I'm going to be self-publishing my first novel, so uh, it's been quite the creative explosion in the last few years, to say the least. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Like, wow, it's it's you know, like to to make you know make some films and publish some books. Like, it's very, you know, it's very like inspirational to do that because so many people probably have that dream. So the fact you've already done it, and like I said, you've got other stuff in the works. Like, it's you know, I I, I feel like it's an exciting time in your life right now. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's building up, and it's really been a lot of a lot of fun doing it and learning a lot. And uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right, because I've had tons of people that are like, hey, I want to try to do a book. How do you do it? And, you know, even when you lay it out for people, most people still kind of don't take the initiative with it. So I always encourage people, you know, don't wait around on that sort of stuff. If you want to do it, just do it. Now, I have to ask you, first of all, with someone in the film, and just because, you know, you're a guest on the podcast, I have to ask you the cliche question of, do you have a favorite film? Or films, plural, and and if so, what is it? Um, so tops that always kind of come out for me would be uh, John Luc Godard's Breathless, uh, just because that is something that I was like shown while I was in film school, and it kind of really opened my eyes up to like the playfulness that you could have with film, but also like what you could say with it. Um, so it was really interesting exploring like French New Wave in general, and the other one for me is probably it's an animated film, but uh, Grave of the Fireflies, which is a Studio Ghibli film. And uh, just because that's like I, I can't not cry when I watch that movie. <laughs> and it's just like to have something that's like so like emotionally powerful. Uh, I've always kind of looked up to that as far as like storytelling, because I feel like it's just really, really strong storytelling. You really ingrained with the characters and, and all of that so there's usually my tops i was gonna say you've you've won a vote in christian's book because he loves studio ghibli so um he'll, he will approve of that choice <laughs> yeah i mean it's easy to, to love them i mean they, they put so much into every film and uh you know just all of it so again i was like late to the game with it i didn't really see my first studio ghibli until like 17 or something like that but once i did i was like the floodgates were open so yeah i do the ghibli fest and all that when they have them in theaters so it's always great heads up the film is about to discuss may contain spoilers for a list of the movies we cover this week check out the description great well let's kick it off we will start with my film uh my pick which is um lincoln from 2012 um directed by steven spielberg uh, stars Daniel Day-Lewis 
as Abraham Lincoln. It also has Sally Fielding as his wife uh, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as his oldest son. So it, it sort of starts, so it's not like a, a full like a biography of his life or anything. It's basically just a snapshot in time of, of a certain period in his presidency, um, which basically concerns uh, wanting to pass the uh, 13th Amendment. You know, I'm not American, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it was it was about freeing the slaves and, and, and saying that, you know, slavery is, is ended you know, is illegal in a sense. So the film sort of deals with him trying to pass that um, through Congress, I guess. It sort of, you know, deals with the different, you know, factions that are either for or against it. it sort of looks at, you know, the different forces either working for Lincoln, trying to persuade people to, to pass the 13th Amendment or vote for it, or, you know, it, it follows the people who are sort of against it and saying, no, we're never going to vote for it. And there's also a, a, a bit of, you know, family drama in there. His wife, and they, they lost the son, uh, Willie, before the film picked up. Uh, that son had died. Um, their oldest son, Robert, um, wanted to join the army, uh, which they were both very against. And it, it, so it, it, it sort of follows, you know, the path of getting the 13th Amendment into law, uh, which it which it eventually does and finishes with um, well we're not actually shown it we're just it's just said in the film uh, with with Lincoln being assassinated that, that's sort of a plot of a film I say, I'm not going to go usually I go into quite specific detail but I'm not going to go into specific detail of this because it's not necessary I feel like I thought the film was all right I gave it three stars so I I, I thought it was average it wasn't a bad film but I'd be hard pressed to say it was a good film either. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? So for me, I just, I, I mean, if nothing else, it was definitely a Daniel Day-Lewis showcase. It was, it just was like, let's just stick some cameras on Daniel Day-Lewis and just let him do his thing. It's very interesting because I actually have a, a personal connection with this film. Uh, one of the actors in my senior thesis film was a featured extra in Lincoln. Uh, and I remember talking about it while we were on set with that production and he had kind of said how like the, you know, what they had said about Daniel Day-Lewis at the time where it was like, you had to address him as Mr. Lincoln, even when, yeah, exactly. Like you had to be very like, you know, he was Lincoln and all that stuff. So, I mean, if nothing else, I, I give it a lot of credit for like being a showcase of that. But outside of that, I, I, I'm kind of with you where like, for me, what stuck out was really like, I felt like the editing was kind of weird. Like, I felt like there were some like strange cuts and things that like, especially in when they were getting like talking to everybody at the party, there was a lot of because I could tell that like, it was more so Spielberg just sticking cameras on to people like there was some weird continuity errors that I sort of noticed with like, actors being in different positions when they cut to like wides and then close-ups and stuff like that so that's why to me it's like it's certainly a showcase for him but i feel like that took away what spielberg was able to do with the film as a whole yeah i mean like i'd agree like to me it was like i was impressed by daniel day lewis and it's funny you mentioned that point about people having to dress him as lincoln because i remember actually last time we had a guest on the podcast uh, Cam, he and I discussed um, Gangs in New York, which obviously also started Danny Day-Lewis, and he, he shared that he read somewhere that um, Danny Day-Lewis, you know, would, would be speaking to Liam Neeson, who was also in the film, and he'd, he'd address him as to be like, hello, priest, you know, because that was his name in the film. And, and so he's very, he was very much in character. So it's interesting to hear, you know, but he basically did the same on LinkedIn. I mean, he's, he's clearly, you know, a devoted method actor. Um, so he impressed me. And actually, I think this is probably only maybe only the second film I've seen him in. I think the first was Gangs in New York. Um, so I thought he was really good, but I was generally unimpressed with anyone else. I mean, and, and I guess no one else really had a big role. I mean, said the film sort of centered around him. He had most of the screen time. I mean, there were obviously other, you know, some of his cabinet, you know, who were on screen quite a bit and, and you know, different people who worked for him or, or were in the Congress and sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, um, Tommy Lee Jones had a fairly big part. Um, so Danny Day Lewis, I thought his performance, you know, was was good. I, I will say I thought the script was good, um, which I guess you generally expect from a Steven Spielberg film. Um, 
I don't know if he actually wrote it. I don't think he did. Yeah, I think it was a separate screenwriter for it. But he tends to get, you know, I guess if he doesn't write it, he tends to get a good screenwriter in to help him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it looks like it was Tony Kushner who wrote it, which is just like, he's great. For me, I, I can't really explain why it didn't move into that, like, good you know, territory or what, you know, I was like, oh, that was a really great film because it, it just didn't, I just didn't really connect with it. I didn't find it particularly interesting and I am interested in, in history and especially American history, but maybe it's because it dealt with such a, a small, you know, like I said, it, it wasn't a biography of him by any means. It was a, it was a snapshot in time of a specific time in his presidency trying to get the 13th Amendment passed. That was the point of the film. Uh, yeah, maybe it was just, you know, what the film focused on wasn't that interesting to me. Um, I, I do think it was long. Um, it, it was two and a half hours. Um, they probably could have cut some, you know, 20, 30 minutes out of it. And I think it still, you know, would have would have been a good story. Yeah, it was it was a bit, I was, you know, it, it was somewhat disappointing. So I guess I'd heard good things about it. You know, it's, it's Steven Spielberg and it's Andy Day-Lewis and they're both like revered in the film world. It wasn't a bad film, but it certainly wouldn't be one that I would revisit probably. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it almost was better. Like, it felt more kind of like a, a play than it did a movie. You know, like, if if I went to, like, a play performance of it, I'd be like, holy crap, that was a great play. You know, I really enjoyed that. But I think the the leap to, to cinema didn't really quite translate as well as it could have. I think you got some moments where, like, Spielberg really put put some work in. Like, that opening was great with, like, the battle. Like, you know, if they had more things like delving into that i think it would have made it more like cinematically interesting but like as it stood yeah it just kind of felt like let's just plop daniel day lewis into something and let him like tell a story as lincoln which is cool like i said if i saw that in a play i'd be like wow this is awesome but yeah once you make the jump to the screen it's just like you know, you're not really giving me too much to like chew on here outside of that. And I'm with you. I feel like some of the acting was kind of hit or miss, actually, like especially Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Like I felt like he's a he's a really good actor, but I felt like he was just kind of like a snotty teen. And like that's as far as he went with it. Lincoln's wife, which I think was Sal- was a Sally Field. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like even that was just like it was way like it was like up here. Yes. You know, way too high with it when it needed to like be toned back just a little bit, you know, with with her performance. I would agree with all that. Um, so, yes, an average film, not bad, not good, just, you know, in the middle, somewhat, somewhat forgettable. But I'm, I'm glad I watched it because I'd heard, you know, I'd heard so much about it. So I'd wanted to see it. Um, shall we move on to your pick? Which is the the big chill. Yes. Do you want to give a bit of a uh, bit of a plot synopsis? Yeah. So the big chill is it's it follows like a group of seven former college friends who gather together for a weekend uh, after they have a close friend of theirs that they went to college with um, who commits suicide. And it's sort of this, you know, funeral that brings everyone together. And then it's sort of them reminiscing about their times together. And then also uh, at the same time, sort of examining like where they are now with their lives and like their interconnected relationships. And it's sort of like, you know, it's a it's a not a comedy comedy. It's, you know, it's more of like a dark comedy type thing. Um, But, it you know, it kind of flows in with like the drama and then the humor at the same time so as um as it was as it was your your pick um i'm keen to hear what you uh, what you thought of it are you, are you a big fan of it did you like it yeah so you know i thought it was it was pretty interesting like it i felt like it was a good multi-character kind of story that had like pretty solid layers to it and to me it felt like I was surprised because I've never seen the film before. Uh, it was just kind of a, a blind pick for me. It was like surprisingly like modern with a lot of its sensibilities, I felt like, uh, you know, especially for something from the 80s, because I feel like, you know, you, you, a lot of 80s films, it's like they live in that time capsule and that's really like as far as it goes. But uh, this it's like some of the way that the humor was presented and like, uh things like that just felt very 
like modern, like Judd Apatow type of like film. Um, so I, I was quite surprised by that because I thought for sure, like, you know, it was maybe going to be kind of something that existed in the 80s. And like that was, you know, where it, it should be shelved or whatever, in a sense. You know, that, that humor, like I said, it was it was obviously dark humor, wasn't, you know, typical <laughs> straight comedy. Um, but I think that was part of to do with the script because I think the script was was really good. That sort of stood out to me. And similarly, which I've I've read a lot of, I was reading a lot of stuff about this film, and and pretty much everybody called this out. Is the soundtrack is like incredible. Like the music they pick, it's probably I'm not going to say it's the best because I'm sure if I thought about it, I could probably think of better ones. But it's it's one of the best soundtracks to a film ever. Like every song they picked was like amazing like i was like i can't it's like they hit with every song like it was great like (laughs) yeah i would completely agree like that's i was like bopping along uh when i was watching it because i was just like man like this thing is just stacked um so yeah that was my first takeaway from it too was just like that was a good soundtrack (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was the first thing i thought i was like that was really good music the uh, look the acting i wasn't particularly impressed by and like i I do, you know, there are people in, because as you know, quite a big ensemble cast, there's like seven, you know, main characters, I think. The the action actors in The Big Chill, I generally like, um, you know, like I've seen William Hurt in a few things, I think he's good, you know, similarly with, with Kevin Klein, uh, you know, Tom Bellinger, you know, like I, I think they all, I enjoy watching them whenever I've seen them. But I don't know. Maybe it was just for characters. I I didn't, I didn't really connect with anyone. I'm not saying we're meant to be rooting for anyone, but I, I I just didn't really, you know, no one particularly interested me, and no one, no one who I was invested in. I would say, and maybe, and I don't think this is why, but maybe it is because of that ensemble cast, right? You are following like seven different people, and they've all got their own problems, and you're jumping from this person to that person. Um, and there's a lot of said interconnected, you know, this person's trying to hook up with that person and that, you know, this person is arguing with that one and said, I, I don't know if it was the, the actors or the characters or what it was, but I didn't, I just found myself sort of unimpressed by, I guess, who I was watching. I, I feel like it was, you know, one of those situations where you're right. I think it's like maybe a tad bit too many characters that you're trying to follow. And I feel like it, it, it took its time with all of them, but you know, you run into that issue of like, is it too much? Because that does sort of keep you a little bit like at bay from getting like too close to anyone in particular. And I will say, yeah, some of the acting was better than others. Of course, like you got Jeff Goldblum being his very best Jeff Goldblum, uh, which is always just fun to watch. But um, yeah, it was, it was definitely one of those things where it's like, I could definitely see it in today's world being more like a a series than a movie, you know, because of how many plot threads and everything you're trying to follow. I thought it was interesting that like you didn't really get to see too much about like Alex. They didn't like really delve too much into like his suicide, why he did it. It just kind of was like you were with the characters in that. I, I kind of enjoyed that. But yeah, there's definitely some moments where like, you know, where are we really like going with this? Like that part where they went out to the cabin kind of like felt really disjointed to me. Cause I was just like, who, like, this is his cabin. Like, is he living in this thing? Like, I didn't really ever get that part. I don't know if that like translated for you there at all. No. Yeah. I mean, that was, it just seemed, and, and you know, it just seemed to be this random thing in certain. And then at the end, it was like, oh, um, William Hurt's character w- was moving in. Uh, you know, to that cabin with with a girlfriend of of um of Andy who, who who killed himself, and and it was like okay, yeah, they had like one talk on like the porch, and then it was like yeah, I'm gonna he's gonna stay with us, and I was just like oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Alex was his name, not Andy. So I'm, I'm as I mentioned to you before, I'm, I'm recording out of order. This is episode twenty four, but I recorded episode twenty five yesterday with Christian. Um. And, and one of the things I, I mentioned to Christian um, when we discussed Pulp Fiction was I said to him, like, I really liked the film, but what was the meaning? You know, because I'm sort of a person who I, I search for, and you can, you know, whether it's good or bad is, you know, <laughs> your own opinion whether I do this or not. But I, I search for 
meaning in films. And now, not all films. Like I, I made this point on the next episode, so I'm not going to expand on it for too long here. But certainly, I know there's some films which don't really have any meaning or message, right? They're just designed to entertain you. But there are other films which I feel like have a message, and uh, you know, this was a film where, as I often do, I struggled to to get a message out. Now, I, I always films where I have that, which is often, I always go and look up analysis after the fact because I want to understand it. I'm not going to just, you know, finish the film and go, oh, I don't get it, you know, bad rating. Like, I, like, I, I always want to look it up afterwards and, and read what other people have said and, and read, you know, what, what people's analysis are so I can better understand it. And a lot of the analysis I read about this film was that it was about sort of this concept of, I don't know how to say it, NUE, NUI, um, which Google tells me means a feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement. So basically like being bored of your life in a sense or feeling like it's not going anywhere or, or feeling like, you know, you're sort of stuck in this world and there's, there's no way out of it, which is essentially what the characters in the film feel. Like the, the point from what I read and obviously what I got out of the film was the, the point is sort of, there's this group of friends, they were really good friends in college, um, then they sort of lost touch, you know, as you do, I mean, I had it, you know, happened to me, I was friends with a lot of people, and I was at university, and then, you know, you, you, you move cities, or you get a job, or whatever, and, you know, you lose contact with people, it happens, and so it's this group of people who were really good friends in college, and then they all sort of went their own way, and then they were only sort of brought back together by, uh, you know, by, by Alex killing himself, um, and they sort of get together and discuss sort of like, you know, where their lives are and their sort of unfulfilled dreams and look back at all, oh, you know, look at the times we had back then and God, isn't it awful where we are now? We've not achieved any of the things we thought we would, etc. You know, and, and I guess they were looking at it because obviously the film is set in the 80s, but they were in college in the 60s and so they were sort of revisiting that time and saying, oh, wasn't that such a fun time? But I'm like, okay, cool, I get that. But like, what's the point? You know, like, like, what's the message? Like, outside of getting group of people together and and reminiscing on, you know, the times that were, I mean, you know, I've done that with my own friends. But if if someone stuck a movie camera in front of us when we were doing that, it it wouldn't make a good film, you know. So, <laughs> I guess my my problem with the film is my problem is with so many films is I'm struggling to discern a meaning from it, and I feel like Lawrence Kasdan, who directed the film. I feel like he wanted us to take something away from it, but I personally don't know what that is. Well, so for me, like what what I really enjoyed about it was like first the the kind of sensibility that it it carried with it of like there's the one scene where they were like packing everything up after dinner and just like dancing and being goofy and like I really enjoyed that because for me it's like you know, I've always had that feeling of like, even though I'm getting older, it's just like, I still feel like a kid so many times. And to me, like, that's what that embodied really well was just like, we don't know what the hell we're doing. We're all just kids. And, you know, we're, we're listening to silly music and packing up dinner and stuff. And, you know, the, the sensibilities haven't changed, just the responsibilities have, you know. So I did really enjoy that part of it. And, yeah, I mean, coming from my own perspective of like, you know, when you are in college, that is that time of like, you're dreaming and, you know, you do want to change the world. And it's like, no matter where you are, I mean, the one guy, you know, he was a famous actor and it's just like not being satisfied with that or, you know, having your own multi like business chain and, and having all this money and still kind of feeling like meh about it all. So I did enjoy that. I mean, if anything else, like I know this probably isn't the first film that's like treaded that territory, but maybe just because of like the time period in which it came out, like held a lot more regard. Cause yeah, I think now you get a ton more of that, of course, in like cinema world, but just for the time. And then for me, it was cool seeing like that, that time capsule, you know, like at the end when, you know, they're, they're taking down people's addresses and phone numbers. And it's like, you know, it's, we're so far removed from that now. It's like Facebook and social media. And then, you know, talking to the kids over the phone while they're staying with like, I, I'm guessing grandparents or something like that. You know, those, those things are, you know, definitely from a bygone time. Um, so that was kind of cool to see. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think like it's, 
if anything, the point might be just to like, you know, reflect on yourself and sort of ask yourself, like, am I doing what I wanted to do? Is that a problem that I'm not like, it really doesn't answer those questions in the film itself. I think it just kind of poses them and it sort of makes you want to sort of like go back and, and reflect on what you're doing. So, yeah, but like as far as like a concrete point, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Where I'm just like, it's it's pretty open-ended to what you can kind of take away from it. And I think maybe too, I'm maybe too young to push this. Not that I'm, you know, I'm some little, you know, Gen Z person running around. Like I'm 28. But like mm-hmm. maybe if I was born, you know, because obviously college in the 60s, maybe if I was a college in the 60s watching this film in 1983 when it came out, and I could be like, oh, yeah, I remember like when I was in college in the 60s or, you know, maybe if I was, you know, 20 years older and I was reminiscing, you know, oh, I remember when I was, you know. So maybe it's just the fact of I'm too young in a sense and too maybe. Yeah, you're in that, that strange middle ground with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like maybe I'm not far enough removed from those those university days or I can I can look at this film and sort of relate to it. Lawrence Kasdan actually um you know I hadn't I'd heard the name before but I hadn't seen any of his films um but he's actually you know like a big time I mean more as a writer than a director because he co-wrote The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and he also actually um co-wrote uh, the latest uh well one of the latest Star Wars films The Force Awakens um and he also co-wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark so he's, he's quite a big I guess he's perhaps more well-known as a writer than a director. I mean, he has had a few other big-name films. Uh, Silverado was one uh, in 19, uh, 1985. Um, White Earp was one um, in 1984, also uh, starring Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner was actually supposed to be in The Big Chill. He was actually uh, Alex, but but he got cut from the film, and so that's why like, you, you never see Alex's face at all, right? He's never shown on screen. But uh, uh, Kevin Kevin Costner was supposed to be uh, Alex. Huh. That would have been pretty interesting. Yeah. But I, I think it was interesting because, like, you know, they didn't, the whole film, in a sense, revolved around Alex. But, you know, they said he was never shown on film ever. And even the discussions of him weren't extensive. I mean, like you mentioned before, we didn't really get a lot of background into him. I mean, we know he sort of jumped between jobs and he had this girlfriend of four months. Um he was apparently, you know, a great a great scientific mind, but we we didn't really know much about him. And I guess that's sort of related him back to the film and but the people in the film say, Well, you know, I hadn't talked to him in so many years. You know, and even um Harold, who's played by um Kevin Klein, uh even he says you know, well, I talked to him recently, but he didn't tell you much, you know, so it's, uh, I guess it's sort of reinforcing that point of like, you either lose contact with people or you stay in contact with them, but it's not the same. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it's also in, like, cause you know, it's the thing with, with suicide that like, you know, it, that doesn't get, it probably gets discussed more now, but just, you know, sometimes it's just one of those things where like, People don't leave notes and people, you know what I mean? People just just do it. And I think that was a a smart choice to sort of have it be like this thing where it's just like, you know, maybe it was like what everybody else is going through, but he was just going through it in a worse way, you know? So that was his reasoning and that was all there kind of was to it. He just felt like life wasn't moving in the direction he wanted it to. It didn't go that way. And that was that was his reasoning, you know? Well, on that note, uh, let's move on to our final uh, film for the episode. So this was Christian's pick. Christian, you know, I hated your pick for episode 25. I'm sorry to say I also hated your pick for episode 24. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where to start with this one. So uh, this film was Wild at Heart, uh, came out in 1990, directed by David Lynch stars Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern in the main two roles. Um, some other big names uh, also in the film. Um, Diane Ladd plays uh, the mother of Laura Dern's character. Uh, Willem Dafoe makes an appearance. Um, Harry Dean Stanton is in it. Isabella Rossellini is in it. Um, Crispin Glover is in it as well from Back to the Future. So the plot is uh, Nicolas Cage plays a guy called Sailor. 
Lord Durham's character, who's called Lula. It's quite a bit of backstory, I guess, we need to, to put in first of all. So, the mother of Lula, who's called Marietta, had her husband, who is Lula's father, killed with the help of this hitman called uh, Marcellus, who was played by J.E. Freeman. Sailor was, was working as a driver for Marcellus at the time. Marietta believes that Sailor might know more than he laps on, that, you know, he might know that she had a husband killed, etc. So he tries to get him killed. Uh, it doesn't work. He ends up killing the would-be assassin and gets into prison. Uh, he comes out of prison and him and Lula sort of link up again, uh, much against her mother's wishes. And he decides to break parole, go down to New Orleans initially, and they sort of want to go to California. At the same time, Marietta sort of hires two people. Um, she gets a, a PI, private detective, uh, called Johnny Farragut uh, to, to find them. And then she also gets uh, Marcellus, who is like this hitman, after him as well. Um, and the film sort of follows Sailor and Lula's travels through the United States on the run. Uh, so they go to New Orleans. Uh, they end up in Texas. In Texas, they meet... A guy called Bobby Peru, who was played by Willem Dafoe, who's sort of this gangster character. Very, very gross. Yeah, <laughs> he was. <laughs> that character just looked right awful. Like. <laughs> um, and uh, Bobby convinces Sailor to take part in this heist. They're gonna rob a bank or something. Bobby shoots the bank people and goes to shoot um sailor uh but he ends up getting shot by the police at the end of the film so sailor gets arrested for taking part of this would-be bank robbery uh gets into prison uh lula has their son who was given the really stupid name of pace i don't know why you would have named your child that but uh, okay cool um Except for like a pace car, maybe yeah. that's about it. It's about the only thing I could think of. Like they're really in a NASCAR. <laughs> and he gets released from prison and they link up again amidst a lot of Elvis Presley and the Wizard of Oz references sprinkled in for that movie. Um, so that's the plot. Um, so this was the first David Lynch film I've seen. Uh, I know he's a very strange director and he makes very strange films. <laughs> and uh, if I'm going off this film alone, I can say I am definitively not a fan of David Lynch. <laughs> um, this film was just very bizarre. I mean, like the plot was straightforward enough, but there were just so, so many like bizarre elements in there and it just... I just, I, I just didn't like this film, to be honest. A better introduction for David Lynch definitely would have been something like Eraserhead. I, I always, that's a very good David. If you want like David Lynch at his like weirdest and most off-putting filmmaking, Eraserhead is like, for me at least, uh, I love that film. But yeah, this is definitely for me, like this is David Lynch in his very like twins, Twin Peaks like phase and so, you know, he is telling a pretty straightforward story, but like in a really unconventional way. What I'll argue for this film is that I think David Lynch is is actually more more grounded in a way than people give him credit for. Because um, like when I was watching it, I was like, you know, you're you're meeting these people that are just very odd. But I'm just like, that's that's life, though, like. Like, I've met so many, like, strange characters over the years. And that's what I mean is, like, you could be staying at, like, some rundown motel in Texas and meet some dude named Bobby Peru who's, like, a cocky, arrogant, like, weird guy, you know? And 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 then you could be, like, uh, walking down the street and a gang of eight dudes surround you and you get punched and you see the good the good witch from The Wizard of Oz who convinces you to stay with your your girlfriend wife lover um so it's like in that sense you know if you come at it from like the sensibility of you know the world is just a weird place then david lynch like he gets it 
But I think as far as like a primer for like him, if you haven't seen his work before, I think it's definitely the wrong way to start. <laughs> uh, because you just you have to just let it wash over you. So like I at least had that predisposition going in that I was like, this is Lynch. You just sort of let it happen and it just sort of unfolds, you know, because it's like when they, they happen upon the, the car accident at night, it's just like, is there really plot significance to that? not really like is there probably symbolism that i'm not picking up on or i'm overlooking probably uh is it just for the sake of like this is what happens in life probably you know it's like all of those things sort of wrapped up in the one it was just a few things like the acting i wasn't really impressed with the acting to be honest oh yeah definitely it was very i mean nick cage was just nick cage is elvis essentially yeah i know and i was like just yeah he was trying too hard to be elvis and then like laura dern was just just annoying and like her mother was just this psychotic weirdo oh yeah the the mom was just that was crazy like that was really bizarre <laughs> i was going to put all the lipstick all over her face i'm like yeah. what are you doing like oh, stop you know but I, I i will give credit i think willem dafoe played his character as willem dafoe does very well like just this weird like intimidating in a weird sense he's just like off-putting yeah <laughs> like i would be scared to be in a room with with willem dafoe as that guy <laughs> yeah i was gonna say the exact same i'm like i wouldn't want to be in a room with him but yeah and, and just you know like i said i i got the plot i understood what the, you know what the story was um i guess it just didn't really interest me um and and i guess and maybe and i mean you might know this more than i because you've which was the first day of Lynch film I've seen. But, you know, he, he had this this um, uh, filmmaking technique throughout where he'd, he'd do two things, I noticed. One is he'd constantly flash back, and another is he'd, he'd, do, he'd do these, like, quick cuts between, you know, like, one set of characters, then the other character, then back to them, then back to them, and it was just constant quick thing. And I can't say I was really either... Uh, I can't say I was a fan of either of those techniques, to be honest, but it just didn't really work for me. Um, I just found them sort of jarring in a sense um because we're just jumping between like present past this character that character and i was like cool can we just stick with like one person one timeline for like one period of time please like yeah but again maybe that's david lynch's style and i'm just not used to it because i haven't seen many of his films before so or any of his films apart from this one yeah i mean I, I i'm definitely not a fan of like especially that that cross dissolve like we're talking about fire so like let's show the fire on yeah i i've never been a big fan of that um and i'll say like i think this is definitely again it's around that same time as like when i i don't know when twin peaks exactly was on the air but i think it was definitely around that same time so so i think a lot of that like television modality was there where it was like that's the quick cuts were definitely that in my mind even still like i tried to watch um this was a couple years ago i tried to watch his movie adaptation the the of twin peaks with the fire walk with me honestly i stopped watching like i couldn't i couldn't finish it <laughs> you know because it was the same deal i just like i wasn't too invested in anything i felt like okay we're being weird for the sake of being weird at some parts so yeah it's, I, I think he's definitely divisive in that sense because didn't he also do i think he did inland empire which was another one <sighs> i couldn't i couldn't finish it um <laughs> you know so i think it's like when he when he hits he hits really good but like there's a lot of misses in there too it just probably appeals to different people like i know for myself i'm not a fan of weird films i i don't like them just give me a normal average drama and i will eat that up all day like i'm not a fan of weird bizarre strange jobs that's just me right some people love it i mean david lynch i know is like revered i mean certainly everyone on letterbox loves him like reveres him as just like film god so you know for some people that's the thing i just for me i i'm not a fan of strange bizarre films um you know so what i've heard is david lynch makes a lot of them um, so I said, maybe it's just, you know, not my sort of film. I, you know, I don't know that I would have picked this myself sort of thing to watch. Um, but certainly I didn't know what it was going to be going in. I mean, I, I knew it was Lynch, but I, I've, I didn't think it would be as weird as like a Razorhead or Blue Velvet or, 
mile Holland drive or elephant man you know i didn't think it would be this weird and i guess it wasn't very weird in that sense but it just what i think it i think it tiptoed yeah i mean i guess for me it was like a film i hadn't seen that sort of film before is the best way to put it but i think he he definitely he got like to me it's definitely two sensibilities coming together that don't quite work Twin Peaks, it, it walks that line, but it also kind of like keeps the narrative going in a good way. Whereas this, it's almost like, you know, he's trying to tell this conventional story, but then he's trying to add the strangeness to it. And I think neither direction goes in a strong enough place. Because the thing with like Eraserhead is like, he just goes all in. And like, that's what makes that film so good. Because at no point are you like, man, this is, you know, a conventional story at all. Because it's not. Uh, but with this one, he's definitely like, I want to tell this story, but then I also just want to like add these stranger elements, which, like I said, make it more grounded in a sense, but then also kind of take the plot out of it because it's not really much to it to kind of chew on. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, the whole premise of the story is there's just two people who are in love and the guy gets out from jail and they sort of go on the run. And I've not seen Bonnie and Clyde, just, you know, but, but it's not even like something like I imagine Bonnie and Clyde would be where they're on a run, but they're also committing crimes during the period. So it's sort of, there's action and there's all this stuff. Like this film said they're on the run. The sort of interest comes from like, oh, look at all these weird characters they meet. And I mean, like you said, that's sort of reflective of life because God knows I've met a lot of weird characters in my time. <laughs> but it's sort of like, cool, okay, so... They're on the run and they meet these weird characters. What else? Like, you know. And I said, I, I, I know this is one of his films, I'm sure David Lynch had, you know, a lot of meaning and symbolism he was trying to imbue to the audience. But um, I just, you know, I just personally didn't get it. Well, and, and it feels like I never got the tension. Like, I don't know if you ever felt like, I never felt like, oh, man, they're, they're coming for Nick Cage and, and they're going to get him. Well, well, that's the thing is that they never like he, you know, said he he he, you know, ran off from his parole, but like you said, there was never the only people after him were the hitmen, and even then they didn't. Even that to me never felt tension. Never felt like oh my god, the hitman's trying to get him. Like there was never any any tension really. That's, that's a good point. I hadn't actually thought about it before, but yeah, like, I mean, like you said, you know, there's the the police never after him broken his parole. The hitman is really never within reach of him, and and, and it's not even. A thing of where because I've seen it in a in other films actually one um, that came to my mind um, the other day actually I was just thinking about it which um, uh, George and I talked about on the podcast a while ago uh, was the Day of the Jackal and, and that was a film where it was very much a cat and mouse film but you felt like you know there was a chance that you know the good guys wouldn't get the bad guy or whatever whereas with this it was like nobody was ever going to get them they were never in danger from anyone. Uh, I mean, if they were in danger of anyone, it was a psychotic mother. That was the biggest threat they faced, more than the law of a hitman, you know. <laughs> but it's like when you see a scene where she's like imbues herself with lipstick. I don't know. It just it took the seriousness out of the the characters for me. Where it was like you got an interesting world, like the whole like what was it, Mister Reindeer, and like all that stuff was kind of cool. But yeah, I never felt like you know there was they just didn't feel like that imposing of characters. And I guess to me, I didn't, and I said, I'm sure David Lynch did it for a reason. I didn't, first of all, I didn't understand why Nicolas Cage was playing with like all this supposedly imitation. I didn't understand what significance that had. <laughs> Nor do I understand what the constant like repeated references to The Wizard of Oz held. Now, I love The Wizard of Oz. I think it's a fantastic film. But uh, it didn't, I don't know, it didn't really make sense to me to, to dropping in, you know, constant quotes about the wizard of oz and references to it and then like you said the good witch appears at the end and it's like yeah this is a weird film so <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh I, I was just thinking about it. it's interesting because i think all three of the films they didn't there was none with like a really serious like antagonistic force honestly when you really think about it because like i was just thinking about yeah it's like the big chill just was kind of you know just the friends drama story and then with Lincoln, it was just about trying to get the bill through. And then this was just people on the run. And there were like bad forces, but nothing that was like to me, like a larger than life kind of like foe. Yeah, I know. That's a good point. And, and not, I've certainly seen some films where there doesn't need to be specifically defined antagonist, as you said. And it can work where it's just 
a story and there's no bad guy or whatever. But but I think to your point, yeah, none of the three films we talked about in this episode had the tension derived from a external force who was working against the protagonist. It, it was just, you know, events were happening. Um, and unfortunately for, you know, the films, the three films we discussed this episode, none of the events really gripped me. Um, which is rare for me because usually I like at least one of the films we discussed. <laughs> and I mean, in fairness, I didn't dislike Lincoln, but um, yeah, it's just a, an, an interesting, an interesting bunch of films to discuss this episode. <laughs> with uh, with with Lincoln, did any any did you get imbued with any of his stories? That were you like, oh, that was a cool story? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would be keen to know, and I did I did mean to look it up after I watched it, but I didn't get around to it. I became to know if Abraham Lincoln was that much of a storyteller in real life. Because in the film, you know, Daniel Day Lewis's character, you know, Lincoln, he would just break out into stories at random moments. And it was a bit like, okay, what significance does this story have for that? But it just seemed like he loved telling stories. Uh, and certainly, you know, he, he, I guess, had the charisma where, you know, he would start telling a story and the whole room would become, you know, enraptured with him and they'd wait, you know, be waiting on bated breath to hear what happened in this story. Um, so that was interesting, but he was, you know, this big time storyteller. I'd be interested to know whether he was like that in real life. I mean, I had a, a friend who was really into Lincoln and I remember a few things that he had kind of told me about it was just like, there were some things that he did that were pretty like sketchy. Like, uh, I think very early on with the, the whole secession thing, like he did the whole martial law because, uh, I know in my state we were, we were like a, on the fence with everything. And I think Maryland was actually leaning more into joining with the Confederacy and he imposed martial law so he could basically take the lawmakers that would have made that decision and kind of hold them hostage so they couldn't make that decision to like prevent that sort of stuff from, you know, more states joining with the Confederacy. So, you know, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, of course, nobody's perfect in the eyes of history and in that situation, you kind of do have to do what you need to do to keep the the country like going. Um, but it's just interesting that it's like this film. It, I think it teased a little bit of that. Like it definitely talked about how like he was, you know, doing more than maybe he should have with like his presidential powers and stuff like that. But I mean, there's also that caveat of just like, you know, sometimes that that extreme is where you have to go with it. So I did like how it sort of balanced. It really wasn't just like 100%, you know, Lincoln was an amazing dude all the time. You know, it, it sort of showed those frailties in him. Um, and for that, I definitely give it a lot of credit because that's, you know, pretty hard to do, you know, because of the the legacy that somebody like that has. Uh, so they definitely did it with like, uh, you know, they, they tiptoed on that too. But um yeah, like I said, that's that's all the stuff. Like the character stuff was great with that film, but it, it was just the the cinematic presentation. Just again, that was the part that was definitely lacking. Because um, I feel like Spielberg just kind of, I, I it's interesting because he's such a legacy director. You think somebody like that would have more control of a, a set presence to sort of add more of his style to it, but really, it just you know it me or you could have done that you know if i had daniel day lewis and six cameras and just multi-cam shot the thing like that's pretty much what he did you know like let's let's not beat around the bush with that yeah and i think you know maybe if it focused on more of his presidency not just his specific i mean i get why i focus on this it was obviously a momentous law that passed um i think maybe you know maybe it would have interested me personally more if it focused on his wider presidency instead of just this very small section. But, um, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, keeps cranking out the hit. So, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say he, he does the thing. I don't know if you had, did you see, uh, the West side story remake? I've not, I want to, but I still need to see the original as well. So yeah, I saw the original way back when, and then, yeah, I saw this one in theaters. It's, it's good. It was a really good, uh, presentation and, and way they filmed it and stuff. So yeah. That's just an aside. <laughs> I'll, I'll give a shout out to another film I watched recently, uh, a twenty twenty two film, I think it is, uh, The Northman. Ah, I haven't seen that yet. Directed by Robert Eggers. 
I would highly recommend seeing it. I'm not, again, Robert Eggers is a weird filmmaker. Not as weird as David Lynch, but weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I watched The Lighthouse, which I surprisingly liked. Uh, yeah, I love the, the Lighthouse. And uh, yeah, The Northman, again, su- it, 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 it surprised me. It grew on me. I came out of a, the cinema thinking, oh, it was, it was a good film. <laughs> and then I sort of thought about it some more, and I was like, no, that was actually great. Like, that was a really solid, you know, good film. So if you get around to seeing it, I'd... I'd recommend it because I think probably I know there's a lot of big films meant to be released this year, um, and we're only you know the start of May, um, so we've got a while yet. But um, I think that will be up there as probably one of the best films of 2022. Yeah, I, he's got a good. He's definitely got that good sensibility of like combining the strange elements, but then also like keeping it grounded enough that it doesn't get like overwhelming. So yeah, I'm excited to see the Northman. It's just, I haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but uh, yeah, I love lighthouse. And then I love the witch as well. That was a really good one. Yeah. That's, that's definitely on my watch list to, to check out. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely one to, to get around to for sure. I feel like we we're, were getting ready to jump into like five <laughs> other films. <laughs> we had, we had three films to watch. We watched it. We talked, let's, you know, let's move on to eight, eight other films that we recently saw. <laughs> so I have to get you back on as a guest. So then we can talk about even more films. I'm happy to come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that uh, wraps up episode 24. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And thanks Daniel for being our special guest. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you would give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll see you next week.